You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. If you've ever planned your class down to the minute, only to have to throw it all out the window when an unexpected student shows up, you know how important it is to be adaptable as a yoga teacher. Problem is, even if we're mentally willing and able to adapt, we may not have the actual skills to change our sequence on the fly and still provide a really excellent class for our students. One of the more common desires or challenges I hear from yoga teachers is the ability to teach people with differing physical abilities in the same class. The good news is that this is very doable, and many yoga teachers develop this skill naturally through experience. But I know that doesn't help you when you're struggling through it. So I brought back my dear friend, Libby Hinesley, to help me break down exactly how you can develop the ability to teach people with different physical abilities in the same class sooner rather than later. Libby is a longtime yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, and also a doctor of physical therapy. She's also a dear friend of mine from my very first yoga teacher training and a regular guest on the podcast. If you enjoy her perspective, I definitely recommend going back to listen to the other episodes she and I have done together because they're all really good. I'll put links to them in the show notes. Meanwhile, let's dive into this worthwhile and fascinating topic, and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, Libby. Hi, Mado. It's time for us to explore this topic of making classes accessible to people in a variety of different bodies, the same class, Mm -hmm. lots of different body types. You have planned one class maybe, and all of a sudden somebody walks in, somebody new walks in who has a very different body from what you were expecting. And it could be that you're teaching like a gentle, slow class And somebody walks in and for whatever reason, you make a judgment about them that they want a fitness class Mm -hmm. or vice versa, where you're used to teaching a faster moving class, a a pretty challenging class. And then all of a sudden you've got somebody who struggles to get up and down off the ground and they like are absolutely lost with what you have planned. All of these are common scenarios when you're teaching, right? Especially if you're teaching dropping classes, right? So I think over time, as you gain experience, there comes a moment where you actually feel kind of happy when this happens, where you're like, all right, (laughs) this is a challenge. Let's do this. Let's figure this out. But in the beginning, it can feel really intimidating. And so I hear from a lot of yoga teachers that this is something that they're interested in getting good at. So let's explore this and let's help them frame this challenge in a way that connects us back to what we're actually doing in yoga. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you are a physical therapist and you've been a yoga teacher for as long as I have, and I lose track. So somewhere around 16, 17 years, right? That's right. Okay. (laughs) If you, if this is your first 
uh, episode with Libby and I together that you've ever listened to, she and I were in teacher training together. So we've been teaching pretty much exactly the same amount of time. <laughs> and we've known each other that long. Yep. So we love doing these podcasts together. Yeah, it's super fun. I love being here. And as a physical therapist, do you find that you have a different view or a different perspective on the physical practice of asana than you did before you went to PT school? Because you've been teaching yoga longer than you've been practicing physical therapy. Definitely. And I would say, yes, I do have a different perspective on it. And it's because I've gotten comfortable with different movements, the way that the body moves, right? There's certain ways that the human body moves and that's just what it does. And when you get to a place where you can just understand uh, anatomy and movement, then it's a lot easier to look at a posture, a yoga posture and see how to maybe break it down and modify it this way or that way so that you can get more creative with it. Um, and then the, the task of modifying for these different bodies that are in your class becomes a lot less overwhelming. I mean, when I look back at the time when I started teaching yoga those first few years, I would have been really thrown off by someone unexpected showing up to my class. I've had it planned out, you know, down to the minute, every posture I'm going to do, how long we're going to do it for, and all of that stuff that so many of us do as new teachers. And you know, I would have been really intimidated and um, I've had a lot of anxiety about, oh, what am I going to do? This person maybe can't achieve these poses. And I wasn't really agile in my ability to adapt on the spot. And so I think a part of it is just practice. And part of it is um, letting go of the fear about movement, because I think as new teachers without a whole lot of movement and anatomy background, it can get easy to be very stuck to a way a posture is supposed to look and to be a little bit misled about ideas around safety or is it okay to do it this way instead and, or, or not. And we just don't know because we don't have a, an adequate foundation in anatomy to know that, oh yeah, it's perfectly safe to do it this way or that way or that way. And there are a lot of ways that are perfectly fine to do it. And that just takes that time. So it does point to an educational gap for a lot of yoga teachers in anatomy. So are you saying that to some degree, this is a level of comfort for the teacher where they can actually just let go a little bit of everybody needing to perform the poses as the teacher envisioned mm -hmm. that maybe it's okay for their new students to flounder a little bit. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think that is helpful to develop a little uh, wiggle room on around your expectations of your students, because even from, I mean, two things that what you just said reminded me of one is from a motor learning perspective we know that when people are learning new movements, they are going to flounder a bit. It's going to look a little crazy, right? They're not going to do it the way you expect. And that's part of their learning. So when we first see maybe a new student to yoga starting to learn some postures, we tend to want to overcorrect and we want to overcue. And some cueing is necessary so that they understand what you're doing in class. But we also know from just motor learning research that too much cueing 
inhibits their ability to just figure this out and, and have a felt sense of this new movement in their body. So that's one aspect of it that where we can let go of a little bit of that expectation and control from what we, we think we're supposed to see in a yoga class. And then the, um, the other piece is just to get comfortable with variations and modifications and be okay with postures looking different to suit different bodies needs, whether that be through the use of props or changing the range of motion uh, or anything like that. And when we think about this situation of a student walking in and needing to change up your whole plan, I think it's important to take a step backwards and actually ask ourselves, what was the purpose of the plan in the first place? Mm -hmm. What was the intention or the goal of the plan? Was it to create like this dance like sequence that feels really beautiful and, and interesting, mm -hmm. or were there other intentions behind it? Because it's easy to get lost in the asana, right? In the, the complexity of the asana, asana tends to be very complex human motion, human movement, right? Tends to be multiple joint positions, multiple joints. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a twister in a way, right? Or it's like a brain puzzle, especially for newer students. Like how can I keep my hand here and turn my hip out this way and draw my shoulder blade back? I mean, there's a lot going on. And if you are comfortable in your body, then all that stuff going on is a way of focusing the mind. So that's cool. That's a cool way of taking advantage of the mind-body connection. But if you're brand new and you're getting lost in, oh my God, this is so hard to keep my this here, this here, this here, and you start to get into a state of overwhelm and a state of, oh, I'm not good enough because this is so hard for me and I see the person next to me and it's not hard for them, then we're really missing the opportunity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Um, I love what you just said about the level of awareness that it takes to be in a yoga posture is, can be overwhelming and it can be too much. Maybe my balance isn't quite here. Or I don't have the strength for this version of the posture. And when we can't achieve that posture, then we do miss this opportunity for an integrated experience, right? Because what you describe is, here's a posture that I can do. I, I'm able to get my body into it. And while I'm there, I get to be aware of this shoulder blade and this foot and this arm. And basically, I am required to sink my awareness so fully into my body that now I'm dropping into the state of being, which is yoga which is an integrated state of being, which is my awareness and my body and my breath are like the same thing, right? And that is the purpose of asana practice as it is the purpose of all yoga practices. But you're right in that we have to be able to do it <laughs> to get to that place. And so that's where it becomes important to be able to see different ways where, how can we maybe take a part of the body out of this, this equation, make it a simpler version Maybe it's less of the same movement, or if we're involving arms and legs, can we just involve the arms first or just involve the legs first before we put it all together so that we build a posture with its building blocks. And <clears throat> that way we bring someone along and they have an ability 
to be in it and find that inner state of being, which is what it's all about. And um, we were talking earlier, you know, about our tendency to mistake our finger for the moon. And I love this old riddle, Zen koan, that says, don't mistake your finger for the moon. We tend to do it all the time in all kinds of different ways. And we certainly do it in yoga with asana or any other specific technique or practice. And the idea is that um, the practices and techniques that the yoga tradition offers us are tools to point us in a direction of yoga, which is an inner state and an integration and and all that um, deeper transformation of our lives. And if we're not careful, we can start to mistake the tool that's pointing us there for the thing it's pointing to, right? In this case, like the moon metaphor, that awe and wonderment of experiencing the moon. Um, So I think we have to be careful about that. And once we can separate that, like, oh, asana actually is just a tool for me to use to learn about me and to go inside. Then I think we can let go of some of this anxiety about having it be a certain way and give ourselves a bit more freedom. I agree. And I also really appreciate what you were saying just a moment ago about the simplicity, about simplifying a little bit, because this is definitely a trend that I have noticed in yoga, modern yoga, modern postural yoga, is that somehow more complex has become equated with more advanced. The problem is that if you attempt a posture that you cannot be fully present in, you might make a facsimile of it, right? Your body might look enough like it that you tell yourself I'm doing this posture, but you're bypassing the benefits, the potential benefits, whether those benefits are mental, physical, spiritual, you can bypass benefits by jumping to something that you're not ready for. So I actually, my experience is that a lot of yoga asana classes are way too advanced for the people who are actually in the room. And by advanced, I mean that they're asking too much of their physical bodies so that there's no space left for them to become present in their minds, where it's almost like a a technique of let me wear you out so much that at the end you can actually relax into Shavasana because I've worked you so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. And it points to a conundrum of our predicament in yoga, which is really around um, what brings people to yoga And I truly believe that whatever brings someone to yoga is a great thing, you know, and people travel a lot of different roads to find their way to yoga. And ideally, when they get there, they find some transformation of that. But many, many people come to yoga for fitness, for physical fitness. And that's not what yoga is designed to really be. You know, it's obviously can be an excellent component of a physical fitness program, but it's not what yoga is that interested in, in terms of the ultimate goals of yoga. And um, we keep trying to make it so, you know, and that's part of mistaking our finger for the moon, I think, in a collective way. But 
you know, so it's hard when you have people coming with a certain expectation, you want to deliver to them what they want. But I think the role of the yoga teacher is also to educate people about what yoga is and what yoga cares about. And once they're at your class, it's, you're not there to entertain them. You're there to teach them yoga. So take that role on and let them be transformed by that because they already have an interest in it, right? Even if people are coming from fitness perspective, they, they know that yoga has something more to do with the mind, body, spirit than just fitness. And I think that's part of what they're really interested in. And you can bring that to them. Definitely. I, I completely agree. And what this is making me think about is how many yoga teachers, when they're first starting out, they're a little bit newer to teaching. They, the only way that they can think to make a class feel more challenging is to make it more complex. Mm -hmm. And eventually what I think we want to work towards as teachers, and this has been my experience, is how do we make sim- simple poses, simple postures more challenging? How do we ask them to use their brains and, and make these brain-body connections within these postures that, you know, from the outside don't look like that big a deal, but you might be sweating, you might be like, it might take every ounce of your awareness of that moment into your body to do what the teacher's asking you to do, mm-hmm. because it's not that you're, there's nothing extreme about, about what you're doing with your body, but it's the level of attention that's being asked of you. Exactly. And that's the key. It's called paying attention. If you ask your awareness every ounce of your awareness to fill up every nook and cranny of your body, then any movement you do becomes like, whoa, so magnified, you know, and so consuming of your being. And that is what gets us into that on the road of yoga that leads inward. And so it's about slowing down. I mean, when we get to simpler movements, it's about slowing down so that you can really savor every little piece of that movement and feel it with your whole body. And I like to encourage my students to imagine, uh, I like this visual of spreading icing on a cake with a spatula because I just love doing that. And I ask them to imagine Um, spreading out their mind with a spatula so that it takes the shape of their body. (laughs) And you can imagine it, however way you want. I just, I think of chocolate cake, you know, and, and I love that visual. And so, so then the whole body becomes this organ of perception and it's just super tuned up to perceive movement and nuances of sensation, things that really help us go inward. So it's not about being uh, doing complicated things. It's about paying attention in a new way, paying attention in a new way. I love that. That is, yeah, such a great way of describing it. (laughs) Spatula. (laughs) Earlier, you mentioned layered sequencing because this is, and this is kind of the next step. I think when you back off of the complexity and you say, okay, let's be really, really present with the simple And then we can start to layer more complexity into it very slowly, but then people are able to choose their own adventure and to self-select, okay, this is the point, this is as much as I can, I can really be present with. 
anymore and I'm going to lose integrity. So then that's really to me, that's how I accommodate multiple levels in one class is that we start, I always start with a version of the pose that I'm judging every single person that is accessible to every person in the room, but I'm going to instruct it in a way that requires attention, even from the people who have maybe the most physical abilities in the room as well, and then invite layers over time with, of course, permission and instruction that you can keep doing the same version that we've been doing because that's awesome. (laughs) If that is enough for you, if that draws you into your body, if that draws you into the moment, that's good. Exactly. Yes. And the language about how you present those different building blocks is everything. And it is a choose your own adventure game here. And it's nonlinear. I really like to emphasize, you know, my approach to asana is that progressions of asana is kind of how we tend to think about it. But I like to think of them as nonlinear. So we can do, we can strip down this posture, this movement, and do the simplest version. Let's just see, are we all there? Okay, cool. We're all there. Then maybe we can add a little something to it and we can ask ourselves, how does this change my experience of this asana? What, what happens that's different? Let's inquire about that, but it doesn't have more value than the first version. There's, there's nothing more valuable in terms of yoga's goals for you about practicing a more complicated version of the, of the posture. So, you know, you have to teach that to your students. This isn't, you don't get more yoga points for being more physically agile. It just doesn't work that way. So try it this way. And then here's a different way to try it. Add maybe this little something to it and notice how it changes. And then how do you want to feel in your practice right now? Choose the way of doing this posture that you know, promotes that feeling. You're in charge of you. Your practice is for you. So we have to try out some different ways before we can really know what we prefer and what feels supportive to our body, what feels maybe it's calming to our mind, right? And this gets us to a bigger question, which is what are our goals? What is your goal as a teacher for teaching this posture or the whole sequence, you know, there's a reason we do the bridge pose. There's a reason we do downward dog. All these things have the potential to impact our experience in certain ways, in a variety of ways. But there should be a reason we're doing what we're doing in yoga class, some thought behind it as far as sequencing goes and, and goals. Absolutely. And I really love what you're talking about with the nonlinear progressions, because the truth is that different variations will be more or less challenging for different people, just depending Mm -hmm. on our, our bodies, right. Just depending on our, our joint position, like the, the structure of our joints, the density of our connective tissue, right. For some people who are very stable, naturally a more strength based stabilizing version of the pose might be kind of easier versus a more flexibility based version of the pose. So I think that's really important to acknowledge that there's no such thing as advanced. There's no such thing as progressing in yoga. And that's one of the biggest stories that we as teachers are responsible for unpacking for our students. That's Mm -hmm. like something that we need to talk to them about until we feel like we're just 
you know, have said it so many times, they must be tired of hearing it. But the truth is that they need that repetition because the visual stimulus that they get from watching other people perform asana and from seeing asana depicted in the media is really powerful. And it's gonna take a lot of work as teachers for us to undo some of the assumptions that our students don't even know that they have. Right, exactly. And we all need reminders of that on a regular basis. I don't think you can overdo that little nugget of teaching. And um, I think every time it lands on your students' ears, it's probably a relief. In some cases, it might be a bit of a disappointment, right? Because we get a lot of positive feedback for performing difficult asanas, you know, and that positive reinforcement feels good. We want to be successful at something. So to change that narrative can be a bit of a challenge, but ultimately I think it gets us somewhere far more interesting than a split. I mean, who cares really about a split, but, you know, I think we can all agree that the quality of our relationships with our children or our family or whoever, right? And our sense of connection to the divine or our sense of connection to community and the contentment of our hearts. I mean, those things really do matter to most people more than they're split. I think that's probably the case, but we always can use those reminders. Definitely. I mean, I know that I can. And if you care about a split, that is fine, that there is no problem with having specifically physical goals. But I would ask you, can you divorce that goal, that physical goal from your idea of yourself as a yoga practitioner? Mm -hmm. A yoga practitioner is capable of presence in the moment. Mm -hmm. And there's no, the, the shape of Hanumanasana or the shape of the split is only valuable within the framework of yoga if it helps you be present. And I have had many experiences of that shape that felt extremely present where that shape did support my ability to be in the moment and to be feel extremely at peace in the moment. It was not a striving experience. It was just like, this feels great in my body and I'm really in my body right now. So there's nothing wrong with wanting a split. Just make sure that the, the actual shape you're trying to get into, that's not yoga. Like, don't think of that as being yoga. Think of that as being like, you can think of it as, as a physical practice. Exactly. It's a tool to help you point to the moon. It's pointing you in a direction. And if you can use the split, whatever posture it is, whether it's, you know, a movement of your hand or it's a split, um, they're to be used as tools to point you in a direction of inwardness and uh, in integration. So that's really, you know, back to that little metaphor of don't mistake the thing you're pointing with for the thing you're pointing to. Exactly. But I'm even going so far as to say it is okay to have a goal of getting the splits, but don't think of it as yoga. Don't confuse it with your yoga practice. That is another kind of practice. And it is great if you are into that. 
Totally. (laughs) Truly. It's fun to do hard things with your body. And there's not a thing wrong with that at all. I don't want to imply that. Um, It's great to have goals and try to do hard things and progress and all that stuff. Uh, It's just, it's not really, you know, in and of itself, it isn't what yoga is about. If you think about like from the yoga sutras, there's this long section on the cities, right? The cities are the powers that practitioners of yoga obtain through their practice, but they're described as being problematic and dangerous because they're compelling and they draw us away from the true purpose of yoga. Mm -hmm. And so to me, when I read about the cities, what I like the most relevant connection I make is to achievement of physical postures. Mm -hmm. Let's, I mean, if you would learn to achieve physical postures and they feel great and they lead you towards yoga, then that's beautiful. Uh, But recognize that they could also be leading you away from yoga Mm -hmm. and you want to be practicing your vichara, your self inquiry to monitor that. How much is my physical practice leading me towards yoga? And when could my asana practice actually distract me from it? Yeah, that's great. I love that. It makes a lot of sense. I think it's completely what we're talking about here. Um, So I think asana is such a powerful tool to take us into a place of yoga. It is, I love asana practice and I think it's, um, has so many different benefits, but when we are starting out teaching yoga and just getting back to kind of understanding movements and breaking them down. Uh, I think that this is why I'm such, I'm passionate about teaching anatomy to yoga teachers so that we develop this level of comfort and freedom to be more adaptable with how we present movements to our students so that they have a positive experience of yoga and of themselves and get something out of it. So so that's a, a real thing I want to underscore is just that that's when we're dealing in bodies, it, it's important to understand how bodies work and it's hard to get around that. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, asking yourself as a teacher, okay, what's my goal? What's my goal here? Because you mentioned earlier on in our conversation that so often we sort of get into a sequencing mode that's really more about choreography and about making something that looks aesthetically beautiful and creative and unique and all that stuff and nothing wrong with that either but you know sequencing uh, yoga asana isn't about choreography it's about having goals and having one thing lead to the next and progression and compensation and there's a you know a reasoning to it that takes practice. You know, most of us don't come out of our 200 hour teacher training with really any concept of that. And that those are some good skills to keep working on over time. Absolutely. And to kind of wrap this up and really distill the advice in order to teach asana, you have to have a basic understanding or maybe a little bit beyond a basic understanding of how the human body works. And specifically what's going to help is understanding the directions of movement and how, what are the normal positions for human joints? That is the building block of every human movement. Then you can start to create layered sequencing that becomes 
a choose your own adventure that can address different students in the same room. And with that, you can keep reminding your students of what the ultimate intention and goals of yoga are, and also invite and empower them to choose versions of the asana that you are sharing with them that fulfill that goal for them in that moment. That's mm -hmm. really kind of to sum up what we just talked about today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That was a good summary, really good summary. And I think, you know, when I hear that summary, I imagine myself, if I'd heard that as a new teacher, I would have been like, oh, I feel so relieved. You know, I oh, take the pressure off. Yeah, because once, like you said, the directions of movement and all the joints, once you understand what you what's reasonable to expect, then that goes a long way. Exactly. And you have a really wonderful program that helps yoga teachers with that basic understanding and then even beyond. So do you want to talk about Anatomy Bites a little bit? Sure. So I have a monthly membership program for yoga teachers called Anatomy Bites. And basically the idea is that each month you get a little bite-sized morsel of anatomy education. And it's a different topic each month. And though there's some videos, lectures, and some practices to help you embody what you learn. And then each month there's also an opportunity to come together with the community with for a live Q&A session with me. And we have great discussions that way. And then there's also a private Facebook community for anyone who wants to kind of connect with other Anatomy Bites members that way too. So it's been a lot of fun. And I think that um, taking the monthly approach and that bite size, but consistent approach is really you know, we try to make that sustainable for people so they don't feel overwhelmed. So much of anatomy is overwhelming for people. And uh, so this is very guided. It's very yoga specific, very relevant to what's happening in yoga practice. And um, we try to create some community with it too. So highly That's recommend it. That's awesome, Libby. I really love the way that you're setting this up as a lifelong endeavor rather than like, cram, 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 because what we know is that if you try to cram your learning, like let's say you have a test and you try to like learn everything all at once, you don't retain it. And you really need to apply what you learn. So by having this regular monthly dose of learning and then a chance to practice what you learned in your classes, I think that that really sets yoga teachers up for more sustainable more sustainability, but actually deeper learning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you get a chance to really digest it and integrate it and kind of mull it over for the month and explore it more and not be in such a rush to get to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. I mean, I, I think some people tend to get into a rush, especially if they're, you know, budding anatomy geeks like I am, but it's nice to take it slowly and really go deep with it. And then you have it in your body in a different way. And then as a member for as long as you're a member in the anatomy bites group, you have access to all the past modules that you've already gone through. Go back and look at those again, do the practices again, anytime you want. And I think another thing that is easy to overlook is the value of actually having live access to ask you questions because everybody is going to come at this from a different angle, different experience. Your, stu your students are going to ask you questions you don't know the answer to. 
now members of Anatomy Bites have a doctor of physical therapy that they can go to every single month and say, okay, my students asked me this and I had no idea what to say. What do you think? Yep, exactly. And we get have great discussions. And sometimes I'm like, I have no idea. They should go see a PT or go see someone and have it evaluated. You know, but well, a lot of what comes up are really common patterns and common challenges that students are coming up against. And so we'll talk through strategies to, to do that. It's really great. And the live Q and A's, they're all over the place. Any anatomy related question goes. Just had one this morning. It was really fun. Oh, I bet. Well, Abby, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world. I think it's really important. And thank you as always for these fun and dynamic conversations. Thanks for having me. It's always a great time. One thing I really appreciate about yoga teachers is how much you care about your students. The way you devote yourself to studying, practicing, and inquiry gives me so much hope for humanity. I know, though, that I get to see a specific slice of the yoga teacher population, and truthfully, I'm really grateful for that because sometimes when I leave my own platform and look into the wider world, I start to feel disheartened. So I want to take a moment to acknowledge and appreciate your commitment to learning and your willingness to do the hard work of engaging with the gray area. People who prefer black and white certainty and definitive, unequivocal answers are probably not going to enjoy this podcast because I just can't go there. So thank you for sticking around and being one of those listeners who sticks with me until the very end of the episode. I hope that my reminders to prioritize your personal practice are as helpful for you as they are for me. Speaking of which, have you practiced today? This morning... I was surprised by how big an effect a short, simple practice can have on my physical and mental state. So if today is one of those days where you talked yourself out of your practice because you couldn't make it as long as you usually do, or you're not feeling up to your usual level of challenge, I hope that you'll make room for something simple and sweet. And if you've already had a nourishing practice today, awesome. Good for you. I believe that When it comes to our personal yoga practice, it's truly an example of the power of consistency over intensity. I don't think it's necessary or even helpful to have a super intense yoga practice, but I do think it's incredibly powerful to have a simple and regular practice. As always, thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.